I'm Helen Marshall, and this is the Diary of a CLO. I hope no one's listening, but if you are, definitely share it. In this episode, I'm joined by Dan Marie Serter, a straight-talking entrepreneur who is well-known for his generosity of spirit, paying it forward and supporting people to experiment maybe fail, but most importantly, try again. Dan is the co-founder of Heights, a brain healthcare supplement. And in this episode, we talk about how you can prepare yourself to learn and thrive. Enjoy. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, How are you? I'm great, thank you. You're speaking to me from Bali and I've had a lovely day already. Um, speaking to you from the future, in fact, eight hours ahead of you. So I can report on the fact that it's going to be a great day for you as well. Oh, excellent. I'm looking forward to it then. <laughs> so, so Dan, you are the creator of one of the UK's top podcasts, Secret Leaders. You are an entrepreneur. You are founder of a company called Heights, which focuses on um, brain healthcare um, and also an angel investor. And even just saying that out loud, I'm I'm tired from from the list. I don't know uh, how you find the time. T- tired, tired as well. Definitely, <laughs> nothing to nothing to do with raising a baby. Oh, of course not. No, and throw that into the mix as well. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose when did you first realise that you were or are an entrepreneur? When did you wake up and think I'm going to label myself like that? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I wasn't very comfortable with that label for quite a long time. So my my dad was a business owner, never called himself an entrepreneur. Um, so he ran a business his whole life uh, from the age of 18, same business. So he doesn't think of himself as an entrepreneur on the basis of, you know, there's sort of this, I think, idea wrapped up of like multiple businesses, you know, it's like the Richard branson type thing. Um and for my dad it was like one business and whatever so i was sort of brought up on this idea of that not really being how it is um and so yeah i didn't really um resonate with the idea of being an entrepreneur um but having said all that uh i was almost nagged out of my comfortable job in advertising by my best friend joel um, to start a business with him and um that first couple of years definitely wouldn't have called myself an entrepreneur uh, definitely didn't uh, didn't align with um wanting to be an entrepreneur and i think it's just sort of like something i fell into or like was forced to do i think a lot of people talk about they had this calling or they couldn't possibly work with other people so they had to work for themselves or you know there's all these narratives my narrative is i was very happy doing the job that i was doing i really enjoyed being told what to do and how to do it being given targets that i could smash and honestly just being told what to do made me perfectly happy um and then i went into this entrepreneurial world where you're basically making up what your targets are meant to be and coming up with some kind of plan hoping for the best and i found it quite uncomfortable for the first couple of years and like i say don't think i had a natural progression into it you know i certainly think i was happier being a very good employee you know i it's a lot less complicated i would say being a great employee being told what to do and then being bloody amazing at it is an awesome feeling um and 
that's kind of the problem with entrepreneurship. There is not really any kind, any real clearly defined goals. It's like a never ending battle of if you achieve what you said you were going to do, you know that you didn't set the bar high enough. And if you set it too high, you don't achieve it. So there's never really a great sense of accomplishment. Um, so it's a very long winded way of saying it took a few years before I would label myself an entrepreneur. Now I definitely think I am one. Um, but that's because I've got a lot more experience, right? I've been doing this for 10 years. I've had multiple businesses. Um, you know, I'm acting co-founder of three businesses currently that are all live. Only one that I'm co-CEO of, but you know, and the other two have other CEOs. Um, but you know, that, that takes time, takes time to sort of identify. And I struggle a little bit with the people who just quit their job and like, I'm an entrepreneur. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you say you are, but you've got to do a lot of shit first, mate. Good luck. <laughs> well, I guess given that you speak to so many entrepreneurs on a, on a regular basis as well, do you find that the, that approach or that those things do resonate with a lot of people or are you recognising similar personality characteristics, for example, in other entrepreneurs you speak to? Um, well, no, I think there's lots of different types of entrepreneurs um, and, you know, even thinking about... Uh, Sean, right? Sean is current. It's obviously Sean for context for anyone listening that doesn't know, being the CEO of Drive. Um, he has a really good sense of, for example, learning as a category. He obviously really cares about that category and he obviously really likes it because he keeps building businesses in it, which means that he has an axe to grind. It means he has a certain point of view. It means he has a real deep seated passion um, behind why to keep doing this. Whereas for me, I'm like the shiny new entrepreneur. Like I have three completely different businesses. Um, one is a media company, one is an e-commerce company, and one is a non-profit community. Um, my last business was a mobile technology company. And my next business will be something else completely like different, I'm sure. Although I wouldn't be surprised if it's still in the space of purpose or mental health. You know, my I, I've got a a relatively consistent thread of giving back through different means um, because I like there to be purpose in what I do. However, um, I, you know, I'm like I say, I'm still definitely, I'm, I'm the kind of entrepreneur that likes the challenge of building something from zero again, which is so stupid because essentially mastery is all about the 10,000 hours, right? And every single time, spirit of learning, every single time I start a new business, I like to start from zero. Because I personally enjoy the challenge, um, but I think I would be a shit slow to more successful if I did what Sean did, right? Why Sean's so successful? Well, because he's repeating what he learned the last time and then sharpening the knife and going again and making it much better, like losing the inefficiencies, etc. Whereas when I started Heights, like, you know, I think Joel and I, we definitely avoided a lot of pitfalls by asking lots of people and there's lots of benefits for starting as outsiders in your category because you don't settle for the norms like a lot of people that work in that space do what they've been told to do by the people before them and the people before them and everyone just carries on doing the same stupid things whether it serves the public good or your customers or not so that was one awesome thing about us starting afresh with heights we did things totally differently and everyone we were working with was completely confused as to why we would do this and the answer is because we came from tech we had absolutely no understanding of how to do something in this space um that was a huge benefit but obviously we've made loads of mistakes too um because we don't carry forward knowledge of some very obvious things that other people would avoid 
Yeah, uh, very long-winded way way of answering your question. Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. I think I'd equate that to um, new starters coming into a business, and I always say they're in such a powerful position to be able to challenge convention and say, "Well, why are you, why are you doing this this way? I've seen it done differently elsewhere." And it's that kind of you get that power as starting a new business, starting from scratch, coming in from the outside, and being able to, I guess ask the stupid questions or do the stupid mm. things and, and learn the lessons from that and guide your business in that direction. So I think that, that does really resonate with me. Mm. Um, so according to your website, you're one of the UK's top angel investors. Yes. How's this? How's that happen? Because you know how important that those early stages of investment are. And did you have that help, that same help when you started or are you kind of paying, literally paying it forward because you didn't? So, um, am I a good angel investor as a starting point? I think I'm a great angel investor by um, doing what I say I'll do. And I think that's a massively important thing. I think, uh, like anything in life, um, how others perceive you versus how you perceive yourself should ideally be in alignment. So, what I don't do is invest in companies and people and say, I'm here whenever you need me. I do the opposite. I'm like, I'm busy. And I've got 60 angel investments now. I can't speak to 60 people. I can't help you. I can't do X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to pretend any of that. Here's how I'll help. If you have a, because I'm an entrepreneur, if you have a genuine problem, genuine problem, especially if it's a problem about your other investors, you call me. If it's like, we've got this problem, we're going to lose money. We're going to fail. We're going to X, Y, and Z. And any of your investors are giving you shit, you call me. And I will speak to those investors and tell them to piss off. Um, because I will have an entrepreneur's back all day long, and like all the way up until they fail, like as in including when they fail, and I'll speak to them after they've failed, they've lost my money, doesn't matter. I invest purely on the basis of assuming I'll lose my money. I'm here to go on the journey with you. It's exciting. I invest in people that I think are like passionate and have exciting ideas, often ones that I don't understand at all, which I really enjoy. Um, to give you an idea, I've invested in like a solar sales company uh, i don't know what they do really but it's pretty cool when they had this like launch with um spacex the other day and their sort of sell yeah so so cool right um it's actually like an old friend of mine who ran a wine business blows my mind what what wine business in france now he's doing solar cells and launch on spacex it's completely mental anyway the point is i didn't understand anything he was saying but i was like that sounds really cool and like i guess i'll get a really cool LinkedIn post out of that one day I did anyway so the point is, like a lot of these businesses you invest in will definitely fail. That's the odds. And I will never, ever, ever give anyone a hard time. Or do the exact opposite, actually. I will support everyone fully in those moments. So mm. I'm really clear of the value I'll bring as an angel investor. It's two things. I'm there as your when times are bad guy. Not can you help me with solve this problem? I can't. But like, shit, it's a fan. I should be the first person you call. I'll never give you a hard time and I'll just listen and help. Um, and two... I will introduce you to whoever you need to be introduced to because I have an amazing network of people. I am well connected um, and I pay it forward. And that's basically the fundamental logic to becoming really well connected is you go out of your way to help other people and it continues to go around and around. And you do that over 10 years consistently because I didn't just start doing that last year. I've done that consistently for 10 years. I've given without taking. Um, I have that reputation amongst many people and it means that if I'm someone's like I need to meet some investors or I need some help with this I'm right I know just the people 
leave it with me. Those are the two areas. And so that's what makes a good investor to me. It's like, I can add that value. Hopefully these companies have other investors who are like, I can't do any of that, but I can help you with your product or I can help you with your marketing or whatever. Cause I think the currency that they have maybe is time and insight. And so like, I think this is the thing, like, can you clearly communicate with someone fairly what your value you will bring to them is and then deliver it and not confuse it? I think it, it obviously says a lot about your personality as well and, and, and how you see those relationships developing and knowing that you can, in paying it forward, you're building relationships that ultimately might end up being useful in the future or useful for someone else as well. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about what went into founding Height? So you mentioned that the, your friend Joel kind of pulled you out that comfortable position of advertising and, and presumably that was to go and found Heights. Was, was that right? Um, yeah, so not quite. We were working on a business for many years before Heights. Okay. Um, so, but it was still the same person that pulled me out, um, and then dragged me back in for Heights. Um, no, Heights was more of a personal experience as well. So in my, um, in just before starting Heights, I went through a period of really bad mental health problems. So I had really, really bad insomnia. I had terrible anxiety, like really chronic anxiety. Hadn't slept in six months. I'd been to the doctor. I'd been to the mental health therapists, like sleep therapists, absolutely everything. You know, you go to the doctor, you get, you're asking for expertise on how to solve this problem. And the fundamental challenge there is if you go to the doctor, they are trained in very, uh, in GPs, obviously in the UK as well, you know, you're trained in very specific ways to solve things very pharmaceutical led so you know they're like here take these sleeping pills and like it doesn't solve insomnia right it just solves that night's sleep so i continually went on the thing you know they say oh you've got mental health problems so go see a therapist um at no point did anyone i was seeing say um, maybe this is nutrition go see a dietitian so dietitians are people who deal with sick people i was sick i had a mental health problem dietitians about 30 to 40 percent of their cases are mental health related which is fascinating, but no one makes the connection between nutrition and mental health, sadly, until it's too late. So that was my, my circumstance. Um, I was in desperate need of better nutrition, um, didn't know. And my, the best description I've had of this from someone was, you know, your brain is basically sending you alarm signals that the house is on fire by not letting you sleep. And it's basically not going to let you sleep until you go and sort it out. So your body is physically creating like alarms that are saying you you're not working and so you're not going to work until you sort this thing out and so i was by process of elimination trying all the different things to see you know is this trauma related is it you know is it just is there something deeper is it yeah it could be anything right and that's kind of the problem with mental health Mm. the challenge is that especially in the uk but i think globally the broad understanding when you say mental health is um that it's all to do with the mind and no one really thinks about the brain the organ the nutrition and hydration that actually needs to thrive containing your mind to function properly and that was my situation so i went to this dietitian after six months she diagnosed me very quickly she basically explained to me that like very very common what's happened to me um that she's the last place that anyone would go and she's like, you know, um, I honestly think that if you take these supplements, you will recover pretty quickly. 
Not because she had like all the confidence. I think if I'd have gone to her day one, she'd be like, I don't know if this is going to work because maybe you need therapy. Maybe you need this. But I had gone to her and said, I've eliminated every fucking thing under the mental health spectrum except for nutrition. And she's like, right, I mean, so obviously nutrition, let's do this. Um, so, you know, I'd made her job relatively easy on that basis. I, um, so she recommended me B vitamin complex, blueberry extract and omega-3s and told me I had to get some very expensive ones from Planet Organic and I didn't really understand why. Uh, and the reason is because the quality level is so low um, from most supplements. So there's a massive marketing scam basically where uh, supplements are able to put in minimum dosages of things and make the same marketing claim as companies have put in the right amount according to science. So there's an enormous gap between the two. Um, it's very price-led, so it does mean that most of the things you'd get on the high street are crap, but if you invest more in the supplements and go somewhere like Planet Organic or Whole Foods, you are getting the right quality, and you're basically paying the same as what you're paying on the high street because percentage-wise you're getting the same amount. It's just that you're getting the amount you need. So I bought these three supplements highly skeptical it's worth saying i'm not a supplement taker i never had been um but therein lies the issue my skepticism and pride and british manliness overtook my practical need for such a solution but when you're desperate you'll do anything so i was desperate and i did this and i followed her word within three days of sleeping like you know all through the night um it was the first time i'd slept and i obviously got very excited about it but i thought you know well, we better give it a couple more days a couple more days slept all through the night and i just couldn't really believe that something as simple as supplements had saved my sleep and cured my insomnia and basically you know everything ladders back up right as soon as i was sleeping i wasn't feeling anxious anymore and then my chronic anxiety was going away i stopped having my panic attacks and I went to this dietitian. I was like, this is absolutely amazing. I can't believe it. You know, she was mostly just frustrated because she's like, nutrition is such a key part of your health. It's it's literally like, if you think about your brain, your mind, if you were all your brain, 50% psychological, 50% biological, it's still an organ, still needs to be fed, still needs to be looked after in order to thrive. And the reality is I wasn't taking proper care of it because I wasn't investing in the right nutrition for it. And something as simple as like high quality supplements made the world a difference for me. So that's where I started, like being so fascinated by this that I was very much like, right, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I know I want it to be in this space. I didn't think I was going to make a supplement at the time, like because I had no idea how one does it, or or that there are industry problems, or that there's any problem to solve. Like none of that was even a consideration at the time, but I was definitely sure that i was going to do something in nutrition and mental health like the overlap there is too fascinating there's so much work to be done in knowledge for people um and the impact is huge like huge so in our typical experience fortunately you know most people that become our customers are healthy they're generally healthy and i don't see a huge benefit so it's like they are actually healthy people who are looking to maintain their health and that's like the ideal people, right? You don't want people in pain. Um, so these are like your typical profile of people, much like Sean, um, who is generally healthy, you know, has a decent diet, will work out, will look after himself, um, but takes the product every day because he wants to stay that way. And that is a very, very sensible, educated point of view, something to do. But we have this 
very large group of customers too who come to us unwell. Sleep problems, anxiety, ADHD, bipolar, I mean, so many different uh, like mental health issues and a whole variety of the spectrum. Of course, some acute, some very minor, but they want to get better and tend to find that there's an, like a massive difference, like a notable difference. So as you might imagine, like most of our high quality reviews don't come from, I already felt good and now I still feel good. Thanks, Heights. They're like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe I suffered for so long and actually this has helped massively. And, you know, we get unbelievable reviews from people like tear jerkery reviews. And actually the ones that mean the most to us, they're, they're never actually from the customer. They're always like, my son XYZ, my daughter XYZ, thank you so much. You know, it's just so rewarding and fascinating like that's the difference nutrition can make and again you came into that space yes you had that kind of personal experience of supplements that you came into that into the space that you have done with heights with without that knowledge of the industry again and mm. do you think that that did set you up well to to ask the right questions and definitely definitely our biggest strength at heights has been being outsiders for sure and so is working working in the L and D space, I know you mentioned Sean, our, our CEO at Thrive, where mm. I'm really interested in this focus on better brain health for exactly the reasons you've mentioned in terms of unifying the physical organ of the brain, but with mm. the mental health as well. And I suppose when it comes to learning effectively, why do you think awareness of brain health is so important? Yeah, so I always talk about um neuroplasticity so neuroplasticity is a term that relates to essentially how plastic the brain is which means that it's moldable so you know the reality is you're not stuck with the brain you're born with and you can change it by choosing to learn and choosing to take a purposeful path in a direction so if you imagine you wake up every single day and you do the same things you go the same journey the same job same decisions same everything every day you can't really expect your life is going to change if you choose actively to take a different route try a new thing live a slightly different way try a different diet try a new routine try a new job or try a new challenge you will find that your brain is literally physically changing but so is your life because you are choosing to have conscious inputs and those conscious inputs will drive more conscious and more impactful outputs um is one of the main reasons why i'm such a huge fan of podcasts and uh, and audiobooks like i listen to about one audiobook a week and the way that i do that is i just go for a walk every single day so rain or shine doesn't matter i go for about an hour hour and a half walk every day and listen to an audiobook and by doing that i get through about one book a week so I read about 50 books a year and those 50 books, I'm not saying that every one of those 50 books is going to like change my brain to become a genius suddenly, but I am consciously choosing every single time what to put in my ears and therefore in my brain and therefore think about, which actively makes me a far more conscious person. Most of the stuff that I choose is around personal development. It's about um, habits, it's about health and wellness and learning and education and science, which means that I am a far more educated, 
healthier, more conscious human being than I was five years ago. And I've done nothing other than the simple act of choosing what books to listen to and making time and space to put that in my life. If you compare that to, for example, I could just spend all that time scrolling through Instagram on my phone, I wouldn't be getting those kind of outputs because I wouldn't be being utterly conscious about what I'm choosing to um, to do. Like that's why Instagram activity, not to call it out, you know, social media is great in its own way, but most of the time spent there is thoughtless. It's not very conscious. So you're not really necessarily deliberately learning and therefore you're not embarking on active neuroplasticity, which means that you're not likely to be making your life better. So I'm a massive, massive, massive believer in um, optimizing your brain's health. That comes from nutrition, that comes from hydration, it comes from breathing, and it comes from learning. And if you if you do feed your brain properly, your your propensity to remember facts and things, so your propensity for recall, for memory, for um, capacity as well to actually learn volume of new things and have them stick. These things are massively impacted by the nutrition that you're feeding your brain as well. Um, and, you know, obviously it goes hand in hand with it. And if you're sleeping better, you've got more energy. You've got more energy, you're more aware. You're more aware. You're more alert. If you're more alert and more aware, you're more likely to be more productive as well. So then the output of what you've learned, you can productively output into the world. So these things are really linked. And, you know, you can have the best brain health in the world and sit around and scroll on Instagram all day and learn nothing new. Your output isn't going to change. You'll be well set up to do great things, but it's not all about the setup, right? It's about the actions that we take. So I'm really thoughtful about making sure that um, I take personal responsibility for my mental well-being. And how I do that is I pick the right teachers, the right mentors. You know, for me, these people are podcasters and authors and not to say I don't sit around and watch Netflix mind mindlessly as well, by the way. I'm still a human being, but that's my downtime. I just make sure I have my uptime as well. And I was going to ask about, um, I guess, if you had advice for people for how they can set themselves up to learn more effectively, because I feel like there's almost that step before you actually get into the zone of, I'm going to learn about something new or listen to something or do something. Mm. You need to make sure you're preparing yourself to do that and you've mentioned going for a walk and obviously um eating the right things and preparing yourself physically is that is there anything else that you'd add to that mix um i mean there is like the thing that i've done every single day for multiple years is gratitude so practicing gratitude is an activity that is neuroscientifically proven, as in proven via MRI scans, not just a theory, to improve your brain's health and make you happier. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard words like gratitude and abundance and roll their eyes, like that's like some spiritual woo-woo, but the great thing about it is it's spiritual woo-woo that's completely backed up by science. So fundamentally, the trick is before you go to bed, you write down three things that went well today. And the way that I do it is I just do it on WhatsApp to my wife. We just WhatsApp each other in bed. It's weird, but we're one of those couples. Um, our three things. And we do it every night. And we have a long, long list of uh, of our three things. And it's a really nice thing to do. And, and if you think about it, 
it's powerful when you've had a bad day to think about what went well today. Because otherwise you go to bed just lamenting the sadness, being negative, like having these negative thoughts swirling around you. It's not a great way to go to sleep. In an ideal world, of course, you're human. You're still going to go to sleep like that some days. But in an ideal world, stopping and thinking, okay, what went well today? And when it's been a bad day, it's super powerful. And actually, where it's really powerful is if you've had a terrible day, like the worst day of your life, and you still have to do it. Because in those moments, you suddenly go, uh, I've got a bed, I've got running water, I've got a roof over my head. As you actually get into like the Maslow hierarchy of needs thing, mostly because you're like so frustrated with your day, you're like, Ugh, everything's shit. But you're like, oh, actually, you know what? I, I, if I'm doing this process properly, I do still have these things, which a lot of other people don't. And it makes you think, it makes you sit there and think and be like, well, okay. That's not so bad. So it's a really powerful practice, whether it's been a good day or a bad day. Yeah. And actually, has it got easier to reflect and be grateful and do that do that exercise the more you do it? Um, ironically, I'd say no. It's still a mixed bag. There's still some days where I do it and I'm like, just in a crappy mood and I want to do it. Um, and there's still some days where I do it, but I'm not thinking deeply enough about it. You know, like the ideal world is like you're really, you know, like you'd be smelling a a, a dish. You kind of want to like smell the memory and be like, oh, so grateful for that. But in my experience, it doesn't always happen that way, right? Like some days you're just like, oh, I just want to go to sleep. And I bloody got this habit that I do. So let me just sit around and think about my three things quickly. You know, the thing is, this is like what I try and say to everyone. I'm still like human, so human, so fallible, so full of all of the negative little mini habits and things that everyone else is. I just try and be a bit better, take responsibility for myself. And, you know, it's the same thing when looking after your mental health in general. Like, I really strongly believe your mental health is your responsibility, not your employer's responsibility. Not your partner's responsibility, not your mum's, not your child's. It's your responsibility. So what does that mean? It means fucking learn how to adult. Learn how to be a responsible adult if you are fully capable. Obviously, there are exceptions to the rule. Like my uncle has schizophrenia. Like he literally can't be a responsible adult and he has a proper mental health condition. So it's like he's totally exempt from this line of thinking. Of course, use common sense when when thinking about this, I'm talking about for your general, healthy, normal, regular people who are able to. A lot of us do outsource our mental health and our feelings and our happiness to other people. And that is challenging because what happens is when things don't go your way, you feel like it's other people's like responsibility to fix it. Whereas the only thing you can ever, ever control is yourself. You can't control other people. You can't make them solve your issues. You can only deal with how you respond to things so when i say your mental health is your responsibility what i'm trying to say here is i still have mental health problems i i am susceptible particularly to anxiety um i've had you know i'm in bali at the moment i had really terrible anxiety for the first week i was here um really bad and i do all of the things and so you could argue well if you do all the things you still get anxiety down what the hell is the point in doing those things and the answer to that question is, 
because I understand myself as a human being. I'm not perfect. I'll still pick up the odd mental health problem and it will still get in the way of the things I do. And yeah, I still feed my brain well and I still sleep well and I drink well and all of these things. I don't really drink much alcohol. You know, I, I exercise regularly. I do all of the things by the textbook. But I still get that. So what is the point? And the answer is because if I didn't do those things, I'd be even worse. So I'm not expecting myself. I'm not putting like ridiculous expectations on myself to like suddenly be this perfect human who just doesn't live a human existence of, of challenge and conflict and self-doubt and all those other things. I feel all of those things. I probably just feel them less because I practice good mental health behaviors as much as I possibly can. I like invest in my well-being. I put it at the forefront of my daily actions. And as a result, I'm just not as much of a mess. And you shared some real insight there in, in, into how other people might be able to start approaching doing things differently or thinking about some habits they might introduce into their daily lives. I guess from a, from a business perspective, you found, you founded a lot of businesses, you've had successes, you've had failures. What do you think the greatest lesson you've learned has been for you? And, or is there a piece of advice that you often pass on to other people who are maybe going to be in a similar position to you? I mean, there's just so many ways to answer the question. I almost like stop myself because I'm like, which path do I take right now to explain? The honest, uh, the first question is really asking yourself, do you want this? Because being an entrepreneur is unbelievably glamorized at the moment. And there's so much content out there about quit your job and become an entrepreneur and why work for someone else when you can do all of this, blah, 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 blah. Um, in reality, it's one of the loneliest, hardest jobs or there is, and it's statistically you're likely to fail and end up in a far worse financial position than you were before. So it's but the but the benefit, the plus side, is is a exponential learning opportunity. So it it does have you know this is the thing like what do you value and where are you in your life. This is also a question I would really strongly ask people to consider. Um, how, what is your financial position right now? Do you have dependents? You know, like, would I responsibly, you know, this is why it's super unfair, by the way, super unfair. Like, if you're white middle class male, like I am, you start like such a privileged advantage over someone from a low economic background, maybe in like a, um, you know, a, a poor neighborhood in London, for example. You know, if a black six, like a black sixteen-year-old mother of a baby came up to me, like I really want to be an entrepreneur, should I? Like, how could I feel responsible to say, yeah, that's a great idea, knowing what I know about the likelihood of any entrepreneur, no matter where they come from, to succeed? It's like that person literally has a responsibility of a child and is young themselves. Whereas if you compare that to, there's a forty-five-year-old with kids in school in Nottingham. And like, should they be an entrepreneur? They got an idea and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I mean, your life's pretty de-risked at the moment. I would say it's a far more responsible opportunity for you right now to consider quitting everything and starting up as an entrepreneur. And I think the, that there's not enough. There's a lot of, like I say, narrative about glamorizing entrepreneurship that misses out the genuine detail of the risk, the career, um, not the career risk, because I do think it's always a benefit for your career. Um, but, you know, the 
as a life choice, as a responsibility. I feel like there's there's all there's all the hype up here, and then there's this middle bit that's the gritty honesty, which is that people's lives are impacted. Um, being an entrepreneur is a the best way I can describe it is being an entrepreneur is a very selfish choice. It's very selfish. So it isn't an amazing career choice if you have dependents, whatever your dependents are. And that sucks, but that's true because you are impacting and taking a lot more risk and you're asking other people to take a lot more risk by doing that. So when I started entrepreneurship, I was a 26-year-old single guy. My dad had just died. Um, and I wanted to do something like in his honor and like I felt sort of inspired and sparked on to do so because he, like I said, he was a business owner and never an entrepreneur and I didn't want to be one and I didn't want to join his business either or any of these things and he died and I was like oh god now I kind of feel like maybe I should do something so I had this sparky moment but I also uh, was able to move back in with my mum and didn't need to pay rent right I couldn't afford rent I paid myself nothing what do you do if you live in the UK and you're not paying yourself anything because you've got a business that you're starting but you know I had a roof over my head, not a problem. So there is a lot of thinking, I think, that people should take as a first step of whether they are or aren't able to take these first steps, whether it is or isn't a responsible decision. Because at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur is a risk, and that's absolutely fine. But you've got to be comfortable with that risk. And don't let any PR or hype or Gary Vaynerchuk or anything let you believe the the risk isn't there because it is and it's your life it's an important question and do, do you think people need to speak about the, the their failures more that talking about the like being honest about entrepreneurship i know people do openly talk about things that haven't gone right but should then mm. do you think there should be more of that in the industry definitely like one of the surprise hits we've actually had so secret leaders we have a, a bite-sized series called um, how i failed um, and the, the inspiration was, you know, you've got the very famous entrepreneurship podcast like called How I Made It. And this is like the opposite of it. This is like how I failed. Um, and it's so good. I know I shouldn't say it about my own podcast, but it's <laughs> so good. Every episode is just 15 minutes. And there's just failure stories of all shapes and sizes. You know, last two episodes were, you know, billion dollar companies. Um, and you know, but then we also have uh, like lots of episodes of people, you know, small small shops and like mum and dad shops and like all sorts of stories, just like speaking about like why their business didn't work, what they learned, and it's so valuable. Um, I genuinely, I mean, I, sh- I shouldn't say it, I enjoy those episodes more than the main episodes because the main episodes are more about success. They're you know they're amazing successful people. There's usually failures along the journey, but I find that failure cathartic process listening to it. I find it so so humbling and so interesting and i also think you know speaking to you guys like as a learning organization there's always more to learn and failure than success always mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's, it's something that we speak about a lot like how do you how do you fail fast learn faster essentially yeah yeah um, um I, sp- I suppose just to just to round it off dan what what's next for you what's next for for heights as well what's next for heights is hopefully um, making an entrance into the USA this year. Um, so we've done pretty well to capture the UK market, but we've just launched a probiotic. Um, it's starting to go really well, so we're looking to move, make moves into the USA, I would say. Um, and then um, what's next for me? Honestly, I'm pretty happy as it is. So 
I'm like, speaking to you from Bali. I, I work in a remote company designed this way by choice. Um, it has its perks, has its downsides, like everything. Um, but I'm just really, really motivated and excited for the year to continue spreading the brain care gospel and hoping to encourage people to try our products and see how taking care of your brain can help you reach new heights. Lovely. Well, thanks, Dan. I really appreciate your time and you shared some really valuable insight there. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Helen. And sorry for all the swearing. This podcast is powered by Thrive. We're a complete learning and skills platform creating modern learning solutions for modern businesses globally. Check us out.